Welcome, everybody. We're here with the Black Hammer Organization for the Revolutionary Book Trap, reading Leila Khaled, My People Shall Live. I've had such a great time learning from y'all and our comrades at Black Hammer. I'm blessed to be in an org with people of such insight and knowledge. Me too. Me up. We're going to get going. Chapters seven and eight of My People Shall Live with Leila Khaled, the last two chapters of the book. An explosive ending, some might say. Land back. I would say I'm excited, but I'm I'm not excited because this is the last this is the last episode that we have for this book. We're about to finish this book. Last two chapters. We want to discuss the last two chapters and talk about um, the Palestinian struggle and also this the global struggle. Um, let's talk about our biggest project. Well, let's talk about who we are too. So we're a Black Hammer organization. We're an anti-colonial anti organization. Um, we are bringing together the power and unity of all colonized people worldwide. Um, and um, right now we are reading My People Shall Live um, by Leila Khalid, um, a Palestinian revolutionary. Um, and... Um, our biggest project right now is Hammer City. Hammer City is going to be a city um, for colonized people. Um, we're, we're going to, it's gonna be communal living, so it's gonna be community-based. Um, no money transactions or such. Um, no rent, no one's gonna be paying rent, no one's gonna go hungry, no cops, no coronavirus. We're all taking care of each other, no white people. Um, We've raised so far uh, $35,000 to build Hammer that, City. Even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, to build Hammer City. Hammer City is going to be in Florida. I'm super excited. Um, and it, we already have a constitution or a draft for the constitution um, that you can find that on our website on blackhammer.org. Also, if you're not a member, um, come join us in this revolution at blackhammer.org slash join you can donate to build hammer city on cash app or venmo build hammer city or gofundme.com slash build hammer city beautiful yeah so this is the revolutionary book trap we, where we read revolutionary texts from all around the world all colonized people struggles so this is Leila Khalid, chapter seven eight the end of the book so shall we get into it ismet yes let's get started so just as a, like, a brief reminder where we were um Chapters six and seven. Chapter six, or we read chapters five and six last week. Chapter five, uh, she hijacked a plane successfully, an Israeli plane. They flew it to, I think, Syria. They made a big announcement. She became famous worldwide. And then chapter six, it was talking a little bit more about the politics. Now we're in chapter seven, where she's already done this one successful hijacking and she's famous worldwide. So, um, we're gonna see where she goes there, but that's setting the stage. She's with the Popular Front, still struggling to unite the masses and overthrow colonialism. Land back. I'm going to start um, with the first paragraph. The principal functions of every member in the Popular Front are politically oriented military activities, the spreading of revolutionary propaganda and fundraising. While these functions are often closely associated, 
Nonetheless, each comrade specialties in the area of which his or her talent are best suited. But the party requires that each one of us has the good grasp of the ideology and strategy, that we be prepared to undertake military operation in occupied territory or in foreign land, that we always be willing to live and work with the masses, that each must that each must help collect funds in a variety of ways from selling the front's theoretical journal Al-Hadaf to raising money from the European and American friends and supporters. Um, so here, um, this is just like a, a quick, sum, quick summation that Leila Khalid is telling us what, the, what, what it was like at the popular front. Um, and I see, I see a lot of parallels. I see a lot of parallels with, with what we were doing, um, our work in Black Hammer organization, um, from, you know, fundraising during our shows or during a fundraising Friday or things like that, uh, to, to the, to the, disin- I'm not going to say that word. I'm going to use a different word. Hold on. <laughs> to um, spreading um, of propaganda to all the different things and also like being security conscious and and things like that and also um, so yeah so this is something that she says as an organization and I think this is what she has to say about what made the popular front successful during that period um, and additionally um, something slipped my mind additionally like as an organization this is what each member was expected and also uh, how they were moving forward uh as an organization and as each member line back yeah exactly because the popular front Leila Khaled she says she's a scientific socialist so she that means she's basically studied history she knows that the only way that revolutions have ever been successful is when they unite all the poor and working class colonized people to overthrow colonialism. In this case, she's working to unify the Arab people to overthrow the Zionism. Good morning, Commander Ghazi, Lambak, good morning. Um, yeah, so just like setting the stage and just as a disclaimer, we're studying this not because Black Hammer condones violence, we're a peaceful mass organization, but we're studying Leila Khaled to see what revolutionaries in the past have done. And so what they're doing, um, they're talking about going to the masses and doing propaganda. And it was their opinion that if they start doing these plane hijackings, they get on like international news and their hope was that this would inspire the, the people to rise up and see that it is capable to fight back and to say no to the colonizers. Um, so like she did this once successfully and that was great. Then um, her face was plastered on all the newspapers worldwide, but still she's like, and because that went was so successful, she was actually promoted into the central committee of the popular front so she's one of these leaders uh one of the top women in the organization which is amazing and she knows how to fly a plane now because she's done all this training so they're like well you know how to fly the plane we want to do more of these because it works so well the first time how do we get you to do another one without the guards recognizing you or like the airplane people so um what she ended up doing was getting like three rounds of plastic surgery on her face with no anesthesia, she's just like, I'm gonna grin and bear it because I know that I need to get my people free. Um, yeah, so she does that and then she starts planning a second hijacking. And so she she was in, I think, Lebanon. Now she goes to Germany um, to start this, this next hijacking. Um, before we go into that, I just wanted, there was a paragraph in, last paragraph in page 79. I just wanted to discuss a little bit about this paragraph. Um, 
because I thought it was important before we go into the hijacking. Um, so, I don't have my glasses. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna read. The Israelis and their allies, however, were a vigilant and sleepless enemy. I had been released from the hospital. It was July 11th, 1970, at 2.15 a.m. And I was sit sitting with Dr. Wadi Haddad's apartment and we were discussing strategy. His wife and child were asleep, were asleep in the next room. From out of nowhere, a volley of rockets struck the bedroom. Neither of us was hurt. We reached for our guns. Then, in the midst of the flames, his family burst out of the bedroom screaming and bleeding. The electricity failed. We panicked momentarily as we tried to extinguish the fire. I grabbed the eight-year-old Hanny and ran up the stairs shouting, Fire! Fire! Hanny was bleeding from the chest and his feet looked squashed. A neighbor invited us to take refuge in her apartment and called the fire Bridge. I was anxious, but Hanny was absolutely calm in silence. He forced a smile and said to me, Leila, revolutionaries of the front ought to not be fearful. You ought to be ashamed of you, of, that you are frightened. I was a little shocked by the reminder from this child revolutionary, and I pounced on him, carried him outside to take him to the hospital. I stopped at I stopped at Gabby, who refused to transport us. I spat in his face. Suddenly, Abu Darduk, a member of the front, appeared on the scene. So this is where I'm stopping. So I wanted this. I wanted this. I thought this paragraph was important because I saw it as um, how the popular front dealt with um, with an incident or like an emergency. Um, because this is they were just sitting discussing their strategy, and then they were bombed or they were attacked and this is the very 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 importance of hammers in your hood why because this is a it's not just about spreading the word of black hammer organization or the revolution it's not just for that spreading this word and it is it is but it's not just that it's also about like commander chief ghazi has mentioned before also getting to know your neighbors and also chief slim has mentioned it over and over during security reports it's, it's getting to know your neighbors and letting them know this is what I'm part of. This is my ideology or this is what this is what I'm fighting for. And so if something happens, if something happens, a neighbor invited us in to take refuge in her apartment. So she she was welcoming of them to help them. Um, she didn't think, oh, like, I don't know what's going on. We, we don't know what we want to do or like, I don't know what's happening or something like she knew she, I, or I assume she was aware of what was happening. So she um, she led them in her apartment. Secondly, in this time of um, of of um, distress, we reached out for our guns. So the importance also of self-defense. Um, just being able to defend yourself because you don't know what will happen. So being, you know, just being aware and mindful of just danger that could happen to you as a revolutionary and also just as a colonized person, just, you know, you're, you're not always going to be safe. And lastly, uh, Abu Darduk appeared on the scene. Um, so the importance also of building those chapters for us as an organization, building those chapters, knowing who we are locally and also, um, more recently, we have been working on those um, plans. So if an, if an emergency were to happen, we have a plan. We know where to go. We know who to call. We know what to do. 
um, someone locally will show up to because we know people who are going to help us. We know our comrades um, know where we're at. Our comrades will um, know where we where I'm living. My comrade knows um, my contact information. Somebody to, to to let me know. Like this is security things. Like this is just this paragraph by itself. I it really stood out to me because this is the importance of our work hammers in your hood and also our security black hammer is very security conscious and just being prepared for those things to happen because you never know and because like i said it's not just about being a revolutionary also just a, as a colonist person it's not just it's just you have to be very conscious of your safety and also security security things land back yeah exactly like a lot of other organizations they might pretend to be radical they might have this radical facade but then if they're not historical dialectical materials that is they haven't studied past historical moments they might not take security as as like um as centrally as as we do and as the popular fronted because we recognize that we can't just be adventurous and go off doing things on our own because our opponents the colonizers have much more wealth because they've stolen it from everywhere and so we have to rely on our numbers and our organization on top of that so yeah i definitely unite with that summation and also this kind of gets at some of the principles of guerrilla warfare that you have to keep a low profile. You never know when you're going to be attacked um, and you have to be strategic and blend in with the people as you can. So yeah, this is a great, great paragraph to focus on. So what do we have next? Um, oh, I'll just also, so they went to the hospital and then it was the American University Hospital in Beirut in Lebanon. Um, and there was some like colonizer white guy doctor who's like, Oh, do you have money or else I'm not going to treat this literally bombed child in front of you um, until finally he saw that, oh, this child was the kid of Dr. Wadi Haddad, another doctor or someone. And then he's like so apologetic. But this is just like what the colonizers are doing. They're putting this money centric focus and they don't care about human life because they don't see colonized people as human, really. Okay, so moving forward, the next uh, thing we're gonna do is that, okay, so just a little summary. So she goes to Germany to start uh, this next hijacking. And of course, she's not adventurous. She doesn't go alone. And she, but she hasn't met her partner before. I see Chief Esmet dropped off, but um, I think they'll be back in time. Um, so Layla's in Germany uh, meeting her partner for the first time and her partner, it turns out to be uh, this guy named Patrick Arguello. I think, um, who is not Arab. And actually, I want to talk about him for a second because he, I, it, she doesn't get into in the book, but I did a little bit of outside research. So her partner in Germany, they're about to hijack this plane. And Patrick, Patrick Arguello is actually part of the Sandinistas, which um, is a Nicaraguan revolutionary group. And so a little bit about Patrick is that he was actually like, so he's, he's not Palestinian, but still he's, working in solidarity, working in unity with the Palestinian struggle because both the Nicaraguans in Central America and Palestine have the common enemy of colonialism. And so Patrick's with the Sandinistas. He's a mixed race Nicaraguan. He was born in the US and grew, grew up pretty well off. He went to UCLA, a prestigious university. Um, and then like after he graduated, he went to Nicaragua and a couple other places to meet the Sandinistas. And um, so we can see what I think what Patrick represents is class suicide of this petty bourgeois where they have access to resources, they have access to training, um, and they have the choice, either will they get their cushy jobs and continue to live well off while 
their people are being exploited, or are they going to use their skills that they've been able to learn, sacrifice their life standing, and go fight for the revolutionary struggle? And I think in Patrick, we can see um, the perfect example of class suicide, where he wants to fight for liberation of all colonized people worldwide. Um, and then one funny anecdote that when he initially went to join the Sandinistas, the leader like didn't trust him because he's like, who is this like well-off American guy? He's probably a Fed, but Patrick eventually proved himself. Um, so that's that's who just like setting the groundwork for who Leila's partner is in in Germany when they're trying to board this plane. Welcome back, Chief Esmet. Land back. Um, additionally, um, while they're at the airport again, she um, she goes through that um, uh, moral mortal mortal. She goes through that moral struggle of like she doesn't want to hurt people and you know the the human like aspect of it that she she wanted to like um she was um not hesitant what is the word i'm looking for she was um worried i guess or something um uh we are moving now to page 82 but we haven't started yet so she was like so she was like um yeah so shall we get into it the the hijacking yeah, just like I want to say one thing is that, so this is Layla's second hijacking, which she's attempting. And this time there's a lot more security because we can see after one successful attack, now like worldwide, now they're starting to do this airport security. And this is kind of making all the the Zionists and colonizers anxious worldwide. Yes. Um, so that's just one, one impact of that attack. But then, yeah, yeah go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like this far, um, when she talks about like, hold on, it's eight, page 82. It's, it says, I was delighted. I'm going to read it from there. I was delighted that the resistance was causing so, so many difficulties and making Zionists paranoid and jittery. I felt that Patrick and I had already conquered the enemy and ac accomplished half of our mission by making a fool of him, uh, that's the security person, and proving that the precautionary measures were not foolproof. I realized that the enemy's fortress was not impregnable, as I ascended the plane with 12 guards of honorable bear submachine guard guaranteeing my security. When I stepped into the LA plane, I felt for the first time since April 13, 1948, that I was at home again in Heva. I was indeed in the lion's den. Never before have I felt so elated and proud of being a member of the Popular Front then in that moment. So th uh, this part also, I related to it personally. Um, just because I'm like Muslim in this country and I moved to this country when I was 12. Um, so there was a lot of like that, um, I guess that age of like doubts and whatever. Um, but when I, whenever I'm in public and things and because I wear the hijab and I'm in public and people definitely looks from white people and things like that. Um, and, or like people be, being like extra nice, I guess, like to make up for something. Um, that's kind of annoying, but, um. Um, so I just like that part when she was like, I was delighted the resistance, like, like Chief Ali was saying, like, this is just like, um, I think, I think for me personally with, through my journey, like, I feel like at some point I was just like, yeah, like, like be, be Islamophobic towards me, like be afraid, be worried, like, like, I'm just, I'm just going to be here and just do whatever I want, like, just live my life and like, you want to be worried about it, then go ahead. Um. 
Yeah, so then, yeah, definitely. Um, so they do eventually get in the plane. Um, one part that I thought was funny, it's on the middle of page 82, um, a couple sentences later. So after they find their empty seats, we moved around twice until we were finally seated together. Uh, we breathed a heavy sigh of relief as the hostess asked if we were comfortable. I was exhilarated and looked forward to the second half of our mission. But I noticed Patrick seemed a little frightened as the El Al, the Israeli airplane, took off around 1.30. Patrick knew me only as my like codename Shadia. I thought if I revealed my identity, his morale would be greatly boosted because she got the the face surgery, so and a different name. So Patrick has no idea who he is. He's just some like American who's or like not American, but uh, an American grew up Nicaraguan revolutionaries. Probably his first time in Germany, first time hijacked plane. He's like, what am I doing? So. Layla's like, I thought if I revealed my identity, his morale would be boosted. I did. Patrick was heartened. He gave me a revolutionary salute. The lady next to me fell asleep immediately. So I thought that was funny. And then like, th then things starts to pop off. So all the passengers seemed tired. At 1.55, we noticed that someone was watching us from the back of the plane. I told Patrick to stay still. I turned around and looked directly at the man for a minute. He was in civilian clothes. When he saw that I was watching him, he shyly looked the other way. At that moment, Patrick prepared his hand grenade and pistol. And I pulled off the safety pins, off my two hand grenades, and rushed forward through the first class section toward the cockpit, because I need to take control of the cockpit to redirect the plane. We shouted, don't move, as some of the passengers tried to take cover. Three stewards were in front of us wielding handguns. In a couple seconds, I could count six guns. But we had participated in a battle. A hostess fell to the ground, crying to me in Arabic, I threatened to blow up the plane if anyone fired at us. I displayed my two hand grenades and dropped the safety pins on the floor, hoping to convince everyone that we intended business and to avert a bloody battle. Patrick held the armed stewards and passengers at bay. Go ahead, I'll protect your back, he instructed me. I forced the hostess to stand up and walk ahead of me. The moment she opened the door, she staggered forward in a state of panic, but I couldn't see the captain of the crew. Shots were fired. There was another door before we could reach the pilot's captain. We both banged on the door, but no one opened it. Suddenly, someone was looking at us through his spy hole. I brandished my hand grenades and ordered him to open the door or else. I heard more shots, and the plane went in the spin. So, yeah, they, it didn't go as smoothly as the first time. They had heightened up the security, doubled doors on the, the pilot, and then, like, when the pilots notice that, you know, they're being, trying to be hijacked, like, they send the plane into it, like, a dive bomb, like spin to like throw everyone off balance. Um, and then unfortunately, like there are guards on, they overpower Layla and Patrick. Um, yes, and they like tie up Layla and Patrick, throw them on the ground face down. And then what unfortunately happens is that one of the Zionist Israeli guards just goes and even though Patrick's already like incapacitated on the ground, like shoots him several times in the back and basically murders him in cold blood. Um, they didn't do that, unfortunately, to Layla, but the hijacking was uh, a little bit a failure. Um, and so then on the middle of page 83, um, what happens is that the pilots then, you know, they get on the loudspeaker and say, we're going to Tel Aviv because right now, just to set a little context, okay, so they were in Germany uh, and they didn't board the plane that was going to Israel. They boarded a plane that was going from Israel, doing a, like a pit stop in Germany and going to the UK. So they boarded it halfway. And then once they're in the air, they're supposed to be going from Germany to the UK. The pilot says like, no, we're going to Tel Aviv because I need to take these hostages. They want to go torture them, like interrogate them, everything. But even though the pilot says that, what actually happens is that the plane, as it's like over Europe going towards the UK, 
even though the pilot said we're going, we're turning around, the plane starts descending and they end up landing in the UK actually. And so there's this like power struggle between the colonizer Zionists in Israel who want these prisoners and then the colonizer Zionists in the UK who want these prisoners because like you have someone so as famous as Leila, like that's a lot of bargaining power. She's in the head of the like central committee of the popular front. So she's a very valuable person to keep alive. And if we see who wins, it's actually the British Zionist colonizers. And funnily enough, she says that knowing she was in British hands, she knew she would be safer, safer than being in Tel Aviv just because like just because of israel and like the way that i mean clearly but anywho um and then there's this paragraph um about patrick's death um that was really touching um just about like um like worldwide solidarity or like the the global fight of the the global resistance um and how like um he being from Nicaragua and like being part of the fight like popular front fighting for the freedom of Palestine um and then um so there was that and then she was seized and um within the British hands um and she was like she felt bad for two reasons was Patrick's death and also the failed um the field uh, hijacking and um, I wanted to read um, the note that she wrote to Patrick whenever they let her have like paper and notes so that was that's on page 86 and that's the last paragraph I'm gonna start reading today is day four since we embarked on our immortal this is the note she wrote to him excuse me Today is day four since we embarked on our immortal journey. Your spirit filled me with hope that the cause we embraced was just and was just and and honorable. You have given your life to a people you didn't know, for a people's continents apart from your homeland, for a people who haven't seen your photograph. Though I know, I know you not. I know you more than any other men I encountered in my life, or any other hero I read or dreamt about. I always longed to know people who loved others more than themselves. I always admired men who sacrificed their lives for the cause of liberty. I always adored people who walked naked before the sun, not fearing its scorching rays, said no to the enemies of light, life and progress. In dying for Palestine, you have become a symbol and lights and light lightens. You have become the symbol and lightens our oppression. You have also become the joyous burden that pe that propels us onward to end the oppression. In joining our struggle for dignity and peoplehood, you have given us a lesson of international solidarity and, and brotherhood and cemented the bond of affection between the people of Latin America and the people of Palestine. You wore history by shredding your blood for others. You united continents by your all-encompassing spirit. You ascended of the realm of Olympian gods by your life-inspiring commitment. You are at once a Byron, a normal Bethune, a Che Guevara, a Patrick Arguello, 
a myrtle, a myrtle for Palestinian freedom. You are not dead, you will live. You will live forever. You are the patron saint of Palestine and revolution, Layla. So this is her note. And again, like I said, um, it was really touching um, just when she talked about like his death and, and just the, the unity that happened um, just between them from different part of the, parts of the world and the fact that he was fighting for, um, for Palestine and just this international um, resistance that like our anti-colonial struggle is not, is not one nation or it's not, it's not just to free Palestine or to unify Korea or, or unify Korea or, or, or different things this is a unified struggle. This is a struggle for all of us. And this is why the unity of all of us is important because because we have this common enemy and we're going I'm going to talk more about it later in the next chapter. Um but yeah, this was really like touching for me. Um Chikari, do you have something to say for this part? Yeah, this I mean yeah, you can feel Layla's writing from the heart here. She feels awful that Patrick martyred himself. He sacrificed himself for, like, at the surface level, it seems like her country, Palestine, but it's really for all the colonized, poor, working-class people of the world because Patrick recognized, like we do, like Layla does, that we all have the same struggle there. Um, and what really hit me was that Layla says that I, I knew this man more than anyone else and she had only met him for like 15 minutes before because it's this recognition that even though we don't know each other on this surface level subjective I don't know your favorite color your favorite food like at the core of our being we're we're like and this unites this unites Patrick this unites Layla this unites all people around the world who are trying to fight for revolution fight against colonialism and I think that's just beautiful because we can never be lonely when we have comrades in our struggle for people who see the injustice in the world and want to want to fight it lying back um also this is just a struggle struggle of liberation for all of us so now i'm at page 88 and i'm going to read a little bit from um the second paragraph did you want to say something i was just wondering um should we break for uh questions um, I was just going to read this part because it's also okay. related to unity of colonized people. Go for it. Um, so I'm on page 88 for a second paragraph. Such a simple, it starts, many have alleged, but I'm reading such a simple. Such a simple explanation of well-conceived plot on part of the Jordanian authority to eliminate Palestinian revolution cannot be accepted. So this is what happened um, of the issue in Jordan. Um, and then, sh and then I'm skipping a, uh, a, a sentence. The Arab kings and colonel and colonels regarded the Palestinian resistance as a dangerous movement that could threaten their very regimes and engulf the whole region in an international civil war of working class versus the forces of oppression. So this is how the, so this is the neo-colonial sellouts who is the Arab kings. Um, and who are trying to also destroy the Palestinian resistance. And reason being here, she's, she was saying, this is the importance of unity of all colonized people also because um, 
this is also a class struggle because of this oppression from the ruling class. And the reason that they were so against the Palestinian resistance is because they saw they saw it as perhaps the source of um, of the unity of all colonized of all colonized people and also the the oppressed the oppressed people to rise up against their oppressor. Um, and that's something they didn't like, and which is why we see in, in the next chapter also the efforts to um, to destroy the Palestinian resistance, lying back. So let's take a break here. Um, if there are any questions, and let's all donate to Hammer City, um, to build Hammer City. Um, hashtag build Hammer City, Venmo build Hammer City, GoFundMe.com slash build Hammer City. Hammer City is our biggest project um, to. Um, build a city for us, um, and and um, and for 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 our future and our children, and our future. I connect. I connect this black hammer using different uniting different nations in their struggle against colonialism, neocolonialism, comrade tiger. Exactly. Yes, exactly like that. Um, this is what. Chief Nas is donating five dollars. Awesome, thank you, Chief. And yeah, this is like what. Let's get more donations. I'm losing my, <laughs> losing my train of thought. I keep losing my train of thought. Let's get more donations in here. Let's go. Yeah, I think Palestine still is like that touchstone, though. That like we can like so it's so recent. Like this land was stolen. These people are colonized, but this is the same thing that happened worldwide. Um, Israel's just copying the blueprint that America did when they colonized like Turtle Island, kicked all the indigenous people off the land, and then you know set up shop and like, oh look, we have this great place. But no, it's awful. So what we're doing with Hammer City is we're overturning this at the root. So we're getting land and giving this to the indigenous people. Um, um, Comrade Tiger said, I'm South Asian, but I also fight for our Palestinian brothers and sisters to get their land back, to decolonize Turtle Island, to end neocolonialism in all our nations. Land back. Land back. This is also, land back, this is awesome because this is also like Comrade Tiger was saying earlier also just with, within Black Hammer organization, this um, comradely love between all of us. Um, even though I like forming relationship is hard, but um, and it takes time. But um, but just within just being a member of Black Hammer organization, you see the support um from everybody and and this unity to against our enemy and to liberate all of us. Land back. I see. Also in the comments, we got uh, Chief I got five on it. Land back. Thank you, Chief I. Commander Ghazi says five on it. Amazing. Chief Rob, 10 on it. Thank you so much, Chiefs. And Chief Lay says, I'm pledging to buy something from the Black Hammer Bazaar. Yes, we have a new online fashion bazaar where you can get like so much great stuff. Go to blackhammer.org and click the like shop here button. It brings you to the bazaar where you got like a whole bunch of fun stuff. Um, and watch the fashion show from yesterday if you yes, missed it. It was amazing. It was amazing. Everyone no. looks fabulous. It was awesome. Oh my god, I really enjoyed it. Me too. I, I really it. did. Laying back. Okay. okay, so should we get back into this? Um, yes. Okay, so she was in. She was imprisoned. She's feeling very sad about Patrick's death. Um, she had like a series of back and forth where she's just being like, 
so snarky with the prison guard. She's like, what are you doing? Like, let me out of here. Um, she tries to get one, one part that I thought was funny is that she tries to get the prison guards to like go on strike as like working class solidarity. But of course, white people don't care about that. They'd rather be kind of sit in their class in their role as colonizers than in their role as oppressed, like working class people. And so the prison guards are like, strike, like working class solidarity. What is that? Like stay in there, colonize Palestinian person, like forget that. So yeah, that, that was that. <laughs> um, but within the same page, um, uh, page 88, the last paragraph, I'm going to read from here because I had a few points to say. So Mr. Fru was the person who um, was interrogating her and um, who kept visiting her every day to try to get information. And then over time, like, he was, like, admire admiring her and was trying to, like, she, he was also the person who was telling her um, information about if she was going to leave and things like that. So um, I'm reading We this. should just maybe just give a little context. So, like, this is September 1970. After she's in prison, what happens in Jordan back in the Middle East is that these like sellout monarchy, King Hussein, he starts attacking all the revol the Palestinian revolutionaries, the Fedayeen, both in her group, the Popular Front, and also other groups like Fatah and the PLO and all this stuff. So like things are popping off there, not in a good way. And so Layla's reacting on it here. Yes. So Mr. Few was a daily visitor and he wondered why Muslims fought each other instead of the enemy. I lectured him on the nature of class society and explained that the good little British manufactured King of Jordan was part of the enemy camp. Few listened intently but like most of his western compatriots, he was unable to grasp the idea of social class and its historic implications. He only accused me of being bitter. I said I was more than bitter. I was full of class hatred and aspired for nothing less than the complete obliteration of the Jordanian monarchy and retinue. Fru's prescription for the remedy of my class conscience was a week's stay in the democratic Britain after my release. So, number one, is the neo-colonial sellout is exactly the enemy is exactly like the enemy because she was saying here i really liked her wording british manufactured king of jordan like like there was also this book that i read for school actually um and she was like in the book um the author was i i would say with the name of the book if i remembered but there was like this point that was made about like how corruption in in the colonized or the third world how corruption within the government was also taught by the British, so how the British invaded and also literally taught like all the governments to be like corrupt and to be stealing money and all of those things. So that was like one thing. And then like how like white people don't get it, like they do not understand. Like she tried to explain to him this class struggle. She tried to explain to him that, you know, the king, despite being Muslim or whatever, like was still an enemy. He just didn't get it. He didn't get it, and he thought that the the solution was gonna be like democracy is the solution. Democracy is not the solution, like clearly. And like this is my issue also with the United States being like just like preaching like democracy, democracy, democracy. Is it actually democracy? Like what's actually going on? Because this is just like it's just like ridiculous. I just thought this part was funny. 
laying back. It is so funny because she's in she's in the Central Committee of the Popular Front, the Scientific Socialist Organization. She's studied like so much history. She's gone through so many stages of personal developments. And this guy has the the nerve to be like, "Have you heard of this thing of democracy? I think this is going to solve your problems. Maybe you're just angry." <laughs> like, no, we're not just angry. We understand history. We understand like when you say democracy, you're not actually mean empowering the people. You mean empowering like the wealthy, like big business holders. It's this fake form of democracy. But then they just like rebrand it, and so it's this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it blows my mind. And then, like, on the topic of the Jordanian kings being manufactured by the British, like, this is literally true. Like, the, in fact, you could you could basically say that the kings and like the king king of Jordan and like the whole monarchy are basically just like robots. They're submissive neo-colonial sellouts. It's like Black Hammer recognizes, and they were put in place. Like, there were no different Arab nations until like. 1920 or 1930 mm -hmm. or even like later than that it was all one nation of people who had similar cultures they had like similar language it's like the same language like slightly different dialects but still but what happened was that the colonizers came in they like chopped it up france britain like all that that nonsense and they literally put in place all the leaders in these countries mm -hmm. and if there was a leader in a country they didn't like well what would they do they would start a war throw them out and put someone new so the current the Jordanian monarchy, which is still existing, was literally put there in the 20s because they were friendly to the British interests. And like the current king is like the grandson of that first king that was put there by the British. Lying back. Okay. Thank you, Chevali. That was a really, that's really helpful it just, too. It gets, me, it gets me so angry at that. And like, yeah. Like they don't understand his, they don't even understand the own history that they did. And mm -hmm. like they just like, the working class like white people they're like brainwashed because they don't learn this stuff in history either but it's that they don't they don't have any desire and impetus to learn it because like we like i went through the same colonial schools these like white power schools but then i recognize that i'm still oppressed my nation's still oppressed and i have that drive to go learn and to teach myself but your working class white person they don't have that same drive because their culture is not being decimated and that's like the difference when we say between just oppression and colonization we are colonized we have the most impact the most need to understand the true history mm -hmm. and to free ourselves that like these white working class people don't and so many people like get caught up trying to work with the white working class people who don't actually see you as human who don't care so these people are not on your side stop wasting your time it I gets me so frustrated and i think it's like also a constant struggle because like for me personally becoming a revolutionary wasn't easy um i kind of like jumped from like label to be label until like i found something that truly represents me and I think it's a constant struggle because we're taught all of those things and not just this colonial school system but also like overseas um it's 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 really difficult to find the truth it's really difficult to try to uh, and yeah speaking about that too like their their view is like so like narrow it's like so small they like they barely see like they don't even understand their own history like you said they really don't um but yeah this was the part and then after that she was like she was like hearing news um through reading the paper or like through the guards she was like hearing the different news um and then maybe we could talk about so like what happened while she was in prison this stuff was popping off in jordan and then what the popular front did they're like we need to get our people out shout out to the kwame Ture pe exactly yeah black hammer does like amazing political education we read so many great excerpts and texts from revolutionaries all around the world like expands your mind uh, if you want to free your people i 
deeply, deeply encourage you join Black Hammer today. Uh, start getting educated, start getting stronger, start uniting your people, reaching out. This Black Hammer organization is that group. Like our sole purpose is to train each other so that we can educate our communities, so we can unite our communities and get stronger. Um, yeah, so like what Layla's doing in prison here, um, the Popular Front needs to get her out. So what they did, they hijacked another plane. Um, they actually took the people as hostages and then they ended up doing like a hostage slash prisoner swap. So um, they freed all the European hostages on the plane in exchange like Britain, Switzerland, Germany. They all had like little like prisoners, these like revolutionary prisoners and they got freed. So Layla got free. Um, and then she went to Lebanon and that was the end of the show. She also got like married, which is funny. She's like, oh yeah, by the way, I got married. <laughs> yeah, I presented in like two sentences. She was like, yeah, I got married. <laughs> Marriage is not that important, but we'll just mention it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that okay. was the end of the, that was the end of uh, chapter seven. So in the conclusion now. Chapter eight, um, let's start from the top. I'm gonna be reading the whole page, okay. The supreme objective of Palestinian revelation, liberation movement is the total liberation of Palestine. The dis, dis, dismantlement of the Zionist state apparatus and the construction of social society in which both Arabs and Jews can live in peace and harmony. To achieve our objective, we have adopted the strategy of people's war and pr protracted armed struggle. We have other alternatives. We have no other alternatives. We see no other possible option to dislodge the Zionists from Palestine. Our struggle will be long and arduous because the enemy is powerful, well organized, and well sustained from abroad. We shall win because we represent the wave of the future, because we are the immense majority of the oppressed, because mankind is on our side. On our side. I really like that one because mankind is on our side and above all because we are determined to achieve history okay so now in this chapter she starts off by saying this is the goal for the palestinians this is how the arab states um are, are operating this is america's goal this is israel's goal um and this she says all of this but then in this, in this and then she says in despite of it this and this happened this this and this treaty or whatever happened so this is what this is how this chapter this chapter is starting so now the goal of the arab state is the elimination of consequences of aggression or the restoration of the status quo ante and not the liberation of the whole palestine the arab states contend that they can force israel to withdraw to the june 4th 1967 borders by jordan by judicious combination of diplomacy and convictional warfare, not by armed struggle and revolutionary ideology. So remember that Israel, when they took over, they didn't take the whole Palestine, and so they kept pushing and expanding their borders. And, and like like we said, kind of similar to how how they did with the Turtle Island, they kept like pushing their borders, pushing, pushing, pushing until they have most of it. And they don't don't just push; they push, they push the borders, and they are killing the people. The stress of the political solution um, and accept meditation by the UN and the major powers as a fate accompli. They tried to persuade their Af uh, their American and Soviet friends to pressure Pal uh, to pressure Israel to withdraw. They also periodically engaged in spa spasmodic military action to demonstrate their determination to regain the occupied territories. Israel still holds every inch of territory it conquered in 1967, and in all likelihood, it will continue to do so, bearing 
profound changes in Arab and American politics. To secure the home front, the Arab governments have strengthened and modernized their intelligence services. Both progressive and, and conservatives are collaborating effectively to stem the tide of revolution at home. So the Arab states, they want to try to maintain the status quo. They do want to. They would like Israel to like go back to the other borders. But they're only doing it through um, diplomacy, all of that stuff, not working, all of that. And then the aim of America is a regional stability under its ascended power. In this age of neocolonialism, America has its storming Gendarme in Israel and its militia in the reactionary military cliques of the Arab world. If the calculations go awry, however, America wouldn't find it difficult to intervene directly to protect its citizenship interests or to help local Putinites ward off the menace of the communism. So again, they want to maintain the status quo. America's enemy is communism, all of that. America is firmly entrenched in the world of black gold. It has no intention of ever sacrificing the flow of bullion into its bank. Again, status quo, keeping status quo, whatever. Indeed, it's prepared to risk nuclear war to keep us free, in quotes, and safe for democracy, in quotes. America does not love the naked fakirs of the Arab world, nor does it care for every little forgotten Jew, uh, the world, little forgotten Jew the world over so they don't so again like America as they claim they don't actually care for Jewish people Zionism doesn't care for Jewish people I would argue that Zionism itself is anti-semitic because it's using the Holocaust against um to do the same thing for Palestinian people and it's just using it um as a reason not not to see it as it is um but they don't care about Jewish people they don't they don't care they just care about themselves. We know that. America cares for America. There we go. And America is Wall Street, the Pentagon, their agents and manipulators in the government and bu- government bu- bu- bureaucracies and the hoarders, hoarders of priests, journalists, and professors which populate the churches, media, and the universities. Again, propaganda. And then the aim of the Soviet Union is to neutralize of the U.S. So remember, Soviet Union is also like um, white communists and all of those. Um, eventually, explosion of the Middle East, the U.S. So you want they want to expel the U.S. from the Middle East, the coexistence, the peaceful transition to so- socialism, the non-capitalist road to development. The USSR supports the Arab national regime in their anti-imperialist struggle, provide them with loans for industrial projects and weapons to fight the Israeli conquerors. Okay, I'm just I'm skipping this sentence. The Soviet Union is a champion of peace and coexistence, not of people's war and revolutionary violence. So, um, so again, she's looking at different like entities and how um what was going on with them what's their goal and what what do they support what do they not support and then um the overriding objective of israel is the peace of beyond it the peace of conquest the dis- dis- dictated and imposed peace of the defensive force of Dian, the peace of North Ameri- american and west european robbies and their congregations so again white people only um, they, they don't care about um, colonized people or colonized Jews or black Jews or any Arab Jews, whatever. Um, and again, Zionism, Zionist supremacy in the Middle East white, is white supremacy globally. Zionism, Zion, Israel is a Zionist state. It represents 
or is it is white supremacy in practice just remember that always okay so now i'm skipping to however however israel would be prepared to sign a peace treaty forego possibility forego the possibility of further territorial conquest and withdraw to june four borders with the exception of jerusalem under two conditions access to arab market and the ownership of the oil and mineral resources of the gulf and suits so the only way they would do that is through access to resources. So they're still wanting to exploit the Arab world. And remember, they chose Palestine. There was a number of options in, in Latin America also. And they chose Palestine because the British wanted a base um, in the Middle East for, for their power. And this is the Zionist space. It's, it's also a tool of the British. And, and, and eventually it became powerful because of America's um, support. Excuse me. And now, nothing less will induce Israel to withdraw or make serious territorial consciousness other than total defeat or American decisive pressure. So total defeat is not going to happen. And I'm skipping. Secondly, the U.S. has not exerted enough pressure to force Israel to withdraw. So so that the total defeat is not going to happen. And um, the U.S. is not going to pressure Israel to withdraw because of anything it is um, endorsing the total conquest of Zionism by continuous sale of Phantom and Skyhawk and the out outflow of millions of American tax-free dollars. So this, uh, for me, answers an essential question, is how are we going to free Palestine? How is, is, because Israel is not going to say, hey, never mind, we don't want this land anymore. So, um, so this, is, this, is, um, this is why armed struggle is, is important also because you know, for, for the purposes of self-defense. Um, also, this what she says about, you know, revolutionary, um, revolutionary, revolutionary ideology is also very important. And because um, this, this also, like, this just it was important for me because I always wondered how is that, how is that going to happen? This is literally the only solution. Literally, revolution is the only solution like look at it in all ways this is the only solution for us because like i said before if we play by the rules we're never going back um and so that was that was important for me to mention land back yeah she lays it out like and it's not when you say it's the only solution you're not just saying that because that's your opinion we can see what happened because like people keep trying the same things we had these we have the neo-colonial sellout states like Jordan, and what do they do? They oppress the Palestinian revolutionaries. And then we have these progressive social democrat like Ba'ath Party states, so they're vaguely socialist, but they're not really revolutionary scientific socialists. And that would be Egypt under Nasser and Syria. And what do they do as well? They're also pretty weak, they won't do anything. So we've tried these other options, these liberal options, uh, and they don't do anything. So truly the only thing as you say, as Layla says, we need a mass movement, a revolutionary movement that unites the people to fight colonialism. We've tried everything else, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, and even like a lot of like white leftists love the Soviet Union and like while the Soviet Union did some good stuff, we can see they also just wanted to like sell out and play by like the white man's rules. And they recognized that they were like, they had this working class solidarity idea, but then over time, uh, the Soviet Union, which was mostly white, started to play into colonialism. They wanted to work together. They wanted to have peaceful stuff. They started doing all this stuff in the UN and like they were so weak and they couldn't come to defend the Palestinian people either. And so like what happens then later in this chapter, uh, King Hussein is now 
he's a sellout in Jordan, he's trying to stamp out the Palestinian revolutionaries. So this is on page 95, um, fifth paragraph from the bottom. And if Hussein has not been ex sufficiently exposed as an imperialist Zionist agent, Time Magazine came out with a full page re report describing his relations with Israel uh, for a number of years since 1968 and reporting that the 10th meeting had just been held somewhere um, with the Israeli prime minister, the next paragraph. Uh, one result of the border meeting was that broader negotiations with representatives of other Arab states can be expected to follow. So more of these cells working with Israel. Turning to the question of guerrillas, the Palestinian revolutionaries, the two leaders, Jordan and Israel, agreed that the Fedayeen, the revolutionaries, were a nuisance to both countries and that coordination was necessary to neutralize them. The king received promises of Israeli help. Hussein, the, the king, and the, prime minister, the Israeli prime minister also agreed to expand economic relations. At the same time, however, Hussein promised that uh, Mrs. Meyer, another Jewish Zionist colonized woman, was undercutting him by observing during her latest U.S. visit that uh, Palestinian statehood was only a question of redrawing Jordan's boundaries. The king was prepared to grant Palestinian autonomy of a sort, but he said under his rule, not as the nucleus of an independent Palestinian state. The civil war in Jordan was not an incidental phenomenon. It was part of America's global strategy to reverse the tide of history and to eliminate liberation movements everywhere else. It was part of a war of reaction and suppression whose victims have been in the main the leaders and the movements of the third world since the second world war. Uh, since most of the resistance moves have either been defeated, undermined or contained with the, some notable exceptions in Vietnam, Cuba, Korea, things like that. Um, the June war of 1967 that was intended as the grand finale in America's attempt to restore sanity and order, this colonial order into the world and rid mankind of the contagious virus of like anti-colonial revolution. Um, the attempt failed temporarily, but in 1970 and 71, this time in Jordan called the Black September, the fascist tide, the neocolonial sellout tide once again flooded the Arab world. The consequences are not difficult to discern and evaluate. Um, and the next paragraph, it goes on. The immediate victim in the all-encompassing war of fascism and neocolonialism was the resistance whose power, prestige, and effectiveness were eroded by the retreat of Fatah, the PLO's right-wing leadership. They walked sheepishly into Hussein's slaughterhouse with the connivance of Arab regimes. And when the final assault came in July 1971, another fruitless Arab summit meeting was convened. Hussein imprisoned 2,300 guerrillas and drove the rest of the movement completely out of uh, Jordan. No strongholds were left for the movement. Its former headquarter offices were in ruins in the capital in Jordan and elsewhere. Phase one of the revolution, revolutionism without ideology was dead. So we see like, unless you're a scientific socialist, unless you're an anti-colonial revolutionary uniting the masses of poor and working class colonized people, it's gonna fall flat. It doesn't work. If you're a sellout trying to like suck up to the colonial powers, you're not gonna do anything. You're just gonna be slaughtering your own people and you know, for greed. So unfortunately, like the the Palestinian revolutionary movement was a little bit split. There was the PLO, there was Fatah on one side, which were kind of like, I don't know, they're like revolutionary aesthetic, but they didn't actually have any substance to them. And then they have the popular front because there is a split, because there's disunity, uh, the colonizers, the neocolonial sellouts, the King and Jordan, Zionists in America, they were able to get united and to stamp out and to kick the revolutionaries out. And this was kind of a pivotal moment in in Jordan in 1970 in the Middle East and actually the whole world because there were some forces that like 
no one knew was the kingdom of Jordan actually going to become overthrown. Was the popular front going to like take over the government? And like, this could have turned the tide of history, but unfortunately at this moment, it was the reactionary forces, the colonials and the colonials that eventually won. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's kind of the end of Layla's memoir here. Did you have other thoughts on the end here? Yes, ma'am. Laying back. Yes. So I'm gonna, you don't have to show the, you don't have to show the, the, the part but i'm gonna read the civil war in jordan was not an incidental phenomenon it was america's global strategy to reverse the tide of history and eliminate liberation movements everywhere and then the june war of 1967 is the grand finale in america's attempt to restore sanity and order in the world and rid mankind of the contagious virus of liberty and revolution this is this part was really broke it really broke my heart it broke my heart reading this because it reminds me again and again that this, this struggle is not just a struggle of palestine this struggle is global it's global and this 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 is how america is so powerful think about america is so powerful and sometimes i just think about now there's two types the soft power and the hard power so soft power would be something like Oh, if I want to study abroad, I would go to France. Um, I want to go to Germany for a vacation or something like that. Um, so that's called soft power and it's through propaganda. Um, and American propaganda, we can talk about that all day. Um, and then hard power, I think that's what it's called. It's like military. And I, when I think of America, it's so powerful globally. Like think of how powerful America is militarily. Um, through propaganda, it's so powerful. Everyone in like in the world, or this this idea is sold about the American dream, about America is this land of the free, all of those things, okay. But remember always, America is only a colony. It's a colony of Britain, and America did not. America, like think about this. All our tax dollars, like I cannot even comprehend how powerful the the U.S. military is. And so, think about how did America become this powerful? It says at the expense of of the the millions and millions of indigenous people who was genocided in this land. It said the expense of African people who was brought here as slaves and who was forced to build this country. It's at the expense of the Iraqi children. It's the expense of the Iranian children. It's the expense of people, of livelihood. And they don't see that because, remember, this used to be a colony. And the re how the way it was built is through capitalist idea ideas and capitalist practices. It's through trade. Through This is always profit over people. You see this over and over. It's profit over people. And this Palestinian struggle... It's not just a struggle for us. It's not just a struggle for our land. It was, it was, it's, we need to internalize and understand and truly comprehend that this struggle and this resistance is international. All of us, all colonized people, we need to really internalize that, really internalize it as much as we can and understand that when this movement was 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 destroyed when this movement was destroyed through the war in, in Jordan 
And look at the way the state of Jordan right now. Look at this way the state of Gaza right now. Look at the state. Look at the state. It's, it's terrible. But we need to understand that this, when the, the resistance was destroyed, it wasn't just destroying Palestine and saying it was. It was destroying. It was slow, slowly destroying and telling people, "You have no hope. You have no way. You are going to be." You are incapable. You are unable to stand up for against us. It is telling the the people, the masses, and it's it's making the masses believe that they can't do anything. Go ask anybody. I'm, I ask. I have had the struggle with my younger brother. He's nineteen. I've had the struggle with my with my younger brother about about join the revolution, and he's like, we just can't. There's nothing we can do. The people are seeing death. And destruction all around them, and we we are revolutionaries, and our job is to give people hope and to to make them believe you can do this. We can do this together. We can do this together, and we will get our land back. We will be free, all of us. Land back. Land back. This we need to understand. I'm so sorry. I'm just thinking about this because this was. I'm just gonna read her words again because the her words are so powerful. It was part of America's global strategy to reserve the tide of history to eliminate liberation movements everywhere. This. This is how powerful America is, and they're doing everything in their power to destroy us and to stop us from fighting. And we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop fighting. We will continue fighting for our land and for our people, okay? Land back. Because we can, we can win. win. We have one. We have one in lots of places. The struggle is still ongoing. The same things are repeating. History is not over. They love to say history is over in 1991. History is not over. The same things are happening. The same sellouts are still in power. The same struggles are still happening. You know, this book was in the 70s. Since then, we've had the Intifadas. We had the creation of like the PLO sells out. They create this Palestinian Authority. The still sellout monarchies are in power. Second Intifada happened. There are still bombings to this day. People are getting killed to this day. They're being pushed off their land in Palestine. Um, and so to this day, the popular still, front is still fighting. Black Hammer is still fighting. Black Hammer is uniting all colonized people worldwide because this has been successful. We have to have unending faith in the masses of colonized people because we can get ourselves free. We have done this in the past. We have re resisted. The resistance is ongoing. And so while our enemies may be strong, while they might have hard power and soft power, the true, the true power is the untapped potential of all the masses of the people. And once we have that, anything is possible. Anything is possible. America cannot stand up to the masses of colonized people rising up worldwide. No matter how many bombs they have, no matter how many tanks they have, we can still fight back. The struggle is long. The struggle is ongoing. It's going to be arduous. This is, this, is, this is known. This is known. You just have to get behind this and acknowledge that we may not see victory in our lifetimes, but 
it's our duty to follow in the footsteps of our ancestors, learn from them, learn what failed, stop doing that nonsense, learn what has been successful, and to devote ourselves to commit class suicide if we have to, to unite with the poor and working class people to put all of our existence towards this revolution because this is the only way that we can be free so that our ancestors or our predecessors will not have to keep doing the same things that we're doing. Land back. So this is why, this is a reminder for all of us also to talk about Black Hammer Organization and talk about our work and talk about Hammer City because in Hammer City, not a single person will live at the expense of another. Not a single person will will be living and uncomfortable at the expense of another person. And so let's let's remember Hammer's New Hood for next week. Let's go out. Let's let's get people. Let's talk to people, and and remind people of their power, and remind people that we are capable, and that we at the end of the day have have the power of the masses, because we are we will win, and because at the end of the day, let's let's all build Hammer City, and at the end of the day, we are fighting for our liberation, and there is no way. We are studying, like Chief Ali was saying, we are studying the things that worked and we are implementing this in the way that works for us. Um, and this was a great book and I really enjoyed this book. And I'm really thankful for this opportunity to be reading um, Leila Khalid's book. Um, and I'm really thankful to be part of Black Humor Organization. Um, it's truly life-changing for me and it just gave me so much power um, to continue my fight. So I'm not fighting by myself. So it's all together. Um, and it's within our unity. Line back. This is Leila Khaled's My People Shall Live. This is the end of the book. Uh, the revolutionary book trap is not over. We'll be picking another book next week. So stay tuned. Join Black Hammer. Let's get us free. Land back. Land back, everyone. Bye-bye.